Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Of the many files released by the CIA, the one bearing the title Flying Saucers in East Germany from July 9th, 1952 is one of the most interesting when it comes to UFOs. The account would find its way to the CIA after the main witness, Oscar Link, would testify of his claims before a judge. The mere fact that such CIA files actually exist and have since as far back as the 1940s and 50s, should show the interest governments around the world have had in UFOs, despite their insistence to the contrary. What made the Oscar Link case even more intriguing is that he and his family would escape the oppression of Soviet-controlled East Germany and into the relative freedom of West Germany before the incident became known. In fact, the encounter would largely contribute to Link's decision to uproot his family in the first place. The Soviet regime would go out of its way to dismiss even the notion of UFO activity. In fact, in the days of the Cold War, they would squarely lay the blame on Link and all of its citizens who reported UFOs. But Link knew he hadn't made this up, and he also knew that whatever he saw was not a Soviet craft of any kind, at least to his knowledge. And in all truth, he didn't believe it to be from any country. What he saw and experienced, he believed to have come from another world. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. In July of 1952, 48-year-old Oscar Link was enjoying the countryside as he made his way home on his motorcycle with his 11-year-old daughter, Gabrielle, beside him. Suddenly, the motorcycle's tire blew out on the outskirts of Hasselbach, a small town near Berlin. Deciding they would have to walk to Hasselbach, Oscar and Gabriella set off, pushing the motorcycle as they did. Shortly after, with twilight beginning to take hold, Gabriella informed her father of something in the distance in front of them. Believing it to be a deer, Oscar would lean his crippled motorcycle against a tree so that he could get a better look. When he did, he realized it wasn't a wild animal at all. About 40 meters from us were two men wearing shiny metallic clothing. They were looking down at something on the ground on their front, a light would periodically light up. Quietly, Oscar approached the two men. 
by the time he was about 10 meters from them, he could see an object. It was like a huge frying pan, two rows of holes adorned the front of the craft. At the top was a black conical tower. Breaking the silence, Gabriella would call out in fright to her father. The two men were now alert to their presence and promptly entered the craft through the black tower on the top. The holes along the front and sides of the object began to light up. First a green color that rapidly morphed into red. There was also a distinct hum coming from it. As they watched it, the conical tower would slide down until it was part of the top of the craft. As it did this, the object would rise from the ground and rotate like a top. The conical tower then appeared at the bottom of the craft before making its way back to the top. All the while it was rising further and further into the sky and there were flames all around it. A whistling sound pierced the skies as the craft eventually leveled into a horizontal position facing north. And within a few seconds, it vanished. Interestingly, there were many reports of comets in and around this area of East Germany around this time, at least according to several Soviet reports, that is. Oscar would state the following. The encounter left me terrified. I firmly believed I had witnessed a top-secret Soviet military aircraft. You see, I had never heard the term flying saucer until I had made it safely from the Soviet zone and into West Germany. He had, as did many of the residents of East Germany during the Cold War days, heard stories of restricted movements and even arrests for those who got too close to secret activities. Needless to say, if Oscar Link had not made it to the West when he did, it's highly likely that his encounter would have slipped through the cracks of history. Not to mention what fate may or may not have awaited him had he chosen to speak of his encounter from Soviet-controlled Germany. This UFO case was perplexing to many, and it showed that while many UFO incidents had been occurring in the United States in the 40s and 50s, they were also occurring in the skies above Europe as well. In September of 1942, Albert Lancashire was on duty at the Cresswell Radar Base, situated on the northeast coast of England. As he surveyed the skies overhead, he suddenly noticed something moving above him. It was a luminous sphere of some kind. It certainly looked out of the ordinary, but even stranger, it made no noise whatsoever. Albert watched for several moments. Just as he was about to raise the alarm, suspecting an enemy craft of some sort, something truly bizarre happened. The craft suddenly emitted a large, foot-wide beam of bright yellow light. This beam hit me in the face. I suddenly felt as though I was floating somehow. And then everything went black. Albert awoke sometime later, several yards from where he previously was standing. He got up and brushed himself down. He realized he was unharmed. After checking the skies and confirming that the object was gone, I returned to my post. I contemplated reporting the incident, and I don't know if it was shock, embarrassment, or fear, but I decided against doing so. However, almost 50 years later, after having forgotten about the entire incident, Albert suddenly recalled what had happened. I remembered 
that I'd been lifted by a beam of light. I was taken on board a craft by a small figure of some kind, but that's all I remember between blacking out and waking up that day. Around three months before the incident over the Cresswell radar base, on the evening of June 25, 1942, another UFO incident unfolded. This time, the incident took place during a return mission over Germany. The witness, a Polish volunteer pilot for the British Royal Air Force, was crossing over the Netherlands when he was suddenly alerted to a very bright light that was seemingly following his aircraft. His crew assumed that a Nazi aircraft was in pursuit. However, when the strange craft came closer, it became clear that it was not at all anything any of them had seen before. In fact, it appeared similarly to the craft witnessed by Albert in the UK, like a strange glowing sphere. As soon as the craft was within distance to fire their guns, the gunner discharged their loads. However, amazingly, all they noticed was that the bullets neither penetrated the strange craft, nor did they bounce off it. The craft then began to perform moves in the air that was unlike anything a conventional aircraft was capable of. The gunners continued to fire upon it, but to no avail, despite the fact that the craft was right on target. They simply appeared to just disappear. Then, after the onslaught, the craft took off at a fantastic speed. The crew watched the craft as it disappeared between the stars. And with that, the incident was over. On the evening of November 28, 1942, a fully crewed Lancaster bomber took off from the runway of the airbase in Searston in Lincolnshire in the UK on its way on a bombing mission over Turin in Italy. The mission itself was a success, and shortly after midnight, the Lancaster prepared to return home. However, as they did so, each of the crew noticed a long, cigar-shaped object, around 200 to 300 feet long, with four pairs of red lights along its side, each at an equal distance from the other. The crew continued to watch the craft. It was at the same altitude they were, and appeared to move at a steady pace of about 500 miles per hour. And then, the craft eventually just vanished into thin air. Several moments later, it reappeared, this time slightly above them. It remained there for several moments before heading away from the Lancaster's location, towards the Alps. The captain of the Lancaster would later claim during his report that he had witnessed almost an exact same craft during a bombing mission over Amsterdam several months earlier. Although the sighting remains secret, veteran UFO researcher and author David Clark would reveal that the report was kept in top-secret files by the Royal Air Force. The file states that, quote, the crew refuses to be shaken in their story in the face of the usual banter and ridicule, end quote. It appeared that UFO sightings began increasing in 1942, perhaps following the increased aerial battles and patrolling of Nazi and Allied aircraft in the skies over Europe. They weren't, however, limited only to 1942. 
Just under two years later, in September of 1944, another bizarre sighting occurred off the coast of England, as a reconnaissance plane returned from a mission over the occupied territories of Europe. As they neared home, a metallic UFO approached their plane from out of nowhere and shadowed them. It was claimed by the crew that they managed to capture a picture of the strange craft, which they submitted with their report. That picture has never been made public. The incident itself remained out of the public arena for over half a century before finally being released. And these orders of secrecy are said to have been issued right from the top by then-Prime Minister Winston Churchill. What's perhaps interesting about this is the fact that, although Churchill was sent such UFO reports throughout the war, he would usually dismiss them as the result of fatigue and the general fear and agitated state of aerial battles. However, in part due to the absolute sincerity of the crew, as well as the alleged photograph they had managed to capture, this particular sighting prompted Churchill to call together an immediate secret meeting, involving high-ranking military members as well as the country's top scientists. According to the reports eventually released to the public, after dismissing the notion that it could be top-secret experimental missiles of the Nazis, the room agreed that the craft was, quote, totally beyond any imagined capabilities of the time, end quote. One of the people present at this secret meeting was Air Marshal Lord Hugh Dowding. He would eventually go as far as to claim that flying saucers were real. That is, of course, before elaborating that they are interplanetary and that more than 10,000 sightings have been recorded. The Somewhere in the Skies podcast is free to listen to every week, but if you would like to help support the show, we have a very active Patreon page where you give what you think the show is worth. In return, you'll get early access to the main show, bonus episodes, and priority to ask our guests your listener questions. Your support truly makes the show continue and grow. So, to learn more and to join, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
Alright, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply. If rated PG. Whether these comments made by Doubting were merely his opinion, or whether they were based on information that he surely would have been privy to, is clearly open for debate. The fact is, though, it is perfectly clear, and now confirmed, that high-ranking members of the UK military and authorities, and likely other members of the Allied forces, were perfectly aware of the strange crafts that were transversing the war-torn skies over Europe in the early 1940s. Part of the reason for such secrecy was undoubtedly the tight security of war. It is also clear that the authorities feared creating panic among the general public. This in itself could have easily been taken advantage of by the Nazis, for example. There were other considerations, though. It's been claimed that Winston Churchill also feared that the news would not only create panic throughout the population, but it would, quote, destroy one's belief in the church, end quote. Shortly after this incident, it was also claimed that Churchill would hold extensive talks with the President of the United States at the time, Franklin Roosevelt. And these talks would last for several days. Allegedly, Roosevelt also had reports on, quote, non-terrestrial science and technology, end quote. It would come to light that the American authorities had reports of UFOs going right back to the start of the war. The American military, on the orders of President Roosevelt, was looking to explore practical uses for the atomic secrets learned from the study of celestial devices. Essentially, they were looking to understand, replicate, and weaponize possible non-human technologies. In another top-secret White House report, it stated this desire even more clearly, when it reads that, quote, non-terrestrial know-how in atomic energy should be used to create and perfect superweapons of war so that the Allied forces could defeat both Germany and Japan and end the war. As unlikely and outlandish such a suggestion is, could it be that the atomic bombs eventually dropped on Nagasaki and Hiroshima were the result of back-engineered technology? This is obviously pure speculation. In the same White House report, Roosevelt appears to suggest that this is exactly the case. Furthermore, the reason the craft was not replicated in full was down to the costs and lack of funds because of the war. However, weaponizing the atomic aspect of it was not so costly. He does also claim that following the end of the war, replicated atomic craft were tested briefly before the Air Force cancelled the project due to multiple failures, including the deaths of several test pilots. There is a lot to consider from this collection of UFO reports and now declassified briefings. 
Perhaps the overriding factor is that if there is extraterrestrial technology responsible for ending the Second World War, at least with Japan, but also in creating the weapons that would go on to hold humanity in a state of fear and panic during the Cold War, might it be that not only did the nuclear deployment and the war itself attract these cosmic visitors to Earth with a much more urgent interest, but that the weapons used were the result of those crashed vehicles. The years of the Second World War appear to have acted as some kind of catalyst that resulted in the many sightings and reports that would kickstart what we now know today as the modern UFO era. Of course, there have been many reported and documented sightings of UFOs over German soil since then, particularly after the fall of the Berlin Wall in 1989, when information began to flow more freely. Sightings of strange craft and lights in this region of Europe, however, were not unheard of throughout the 30s and 40s. Perhaps the most well-known and controversial is an apparent incident in the Black Forest in 1936, where there are reports of a strange craft that crashed and was then recovered by Hitler's SS troops. There are many theories that the Nazi regime would back-engineer this recovered craft. Whether they were successful or not is open for debate. But it is known that they developed many experimental craft during the Second World War, including those of a saucer shape. Throughout the war itself, when the skies over mainland Europe and the UK were an aerial battleground, numerous pilots from both sides of the conflict would report strange lights and orbs. These would be referred to as Foo Fighters. One of the pilots who had witnessed the Foo Fighter phenomena was Lieutenant Colonel Jacques Drapier of the French Air Force. He would recall the following about that dramatic encounter. If you take one dime at arm length, that's about the size I can figure out. Uh, then suddenly two vanish, and I mean vanish. Blue sky, I vanish. And one, the time to say one, two, three, make a long circle with crashing green, blue, red, everything on the back towards us pass between us and the mountain like a, a lightning and went zigzag and disappeared. When he passed, I had a green light in my cockpit, a matter of a, a fraction of second. And I remember I can see something hard to say, 15, maybe 20, 25 feet diameter, like a disc who went under us and disappeared. But the next things, and a little tinkling around me, you know, okay, we were tired. And then the thing I see, I look, all my instruments, they were all getting crazy. My uh, spare, uh, spare uh, compass was going counterclockwise about that speed. All the other instrument was going this crazy. And I said, of course, I have the answer today. But I said, holy smoke, what's going on? And... When, when that took place, my two wings went sky high, yelling, and the interphone, uh, what, what's going on? Shit, I'm back, and all that. I said, hey, back. And then I said, no radar, no nothing, navigation, 
What can we do? Radio wasn't functioning anymore. Well, lucky when I think about it, our Magneto was still going on. That's, a, that's still a, a, a mystery. Because what happened today, I know high, high level of magnetic field. Okay. So fortunately above the mountain, I saw the base far away. Thanks God. So we all land. And you see three exciting guys were going down there. We arrive and like normally we had to do our reports. On our report, we say everything like it happened. And that's why the CEO, when he began to read that, he looked at us, he picked up the phone and he says, Doc, I got to send you three guys. They got mass hallucination. <laughs> They're very, very tired. Give them a... And we had to go. And, and oh, I, yeah, I was mad. I said, what? 20 minutes? Blah, 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 blah. And I said, God, no, it's, it's not possible. What's going on? I mean, is, is that a secret weapon, a new secret weapon of the German? The briefing and the intelligence in each briefing should tell us nothing of that kind. What is this? We can't fight that. If that's a secret weapon, uh, a weapon of the German, I say we can't fight that. We lost the war. You know, going gloriously with our plane at 450 miles, you know. So finally, uh, I took the CEO to the hangar and I said, Sir, you better tell us what's happening. You must know more than we know what is happening. Look, look, look what happened inside of the plane. It was one hour after. The mechanics has to take all those instruments out on the three plane. And uh, he, he went crazy. He said, wow, all this smoke, I, I don't know. Well, if you don't know, you better, have, better believe our story. We were grounded four days. The second day, we had some VIP coming early in the morning. We had to be put inside a room, question. Oh, Colonel plus his head and everything. Gentlemen, he says, you are not crazy. You are not having hallucination. You have seen the right things. Oh my God, I said, I'm going to see something. We are going to know what's going on. Yeah, but meanwhile, the aide make us sign some paper, you know. You don't remember everything. You haven't seen nothing. Military secret, and that's about it. Otherwise, the, the, the war is finished for you. 1945. And that was the end of it. Whether they were a continuation of the Nazi experimental saucer is unknown. Although most of the Nazi scientists and commanders were either divided up between the Soviets and Americans, or they died in the final days of the war, or many were unaccounted for. <clears throat> Can you say Operation Paperclip or Argentina? <clears throat> Anyways, while it's unlikely that these apparent Nazi-inspired crafts have any connection to the sighting of Oscar Link, one other encounter that occurred around a month or so after Link's, and is a relatively short distance away over the skies of West Germany, does bear resemblance. 
While on a training flight over West Germany on July 30, 1952, Flight Sergeant Roland Hughes noticed a gleaming silver metallic disc approaching his plane at great speed. It would then fly alongside his FB-9 fighter for a moment, before speeding away at a pace unlike anything the pilot had ever witnessed. Nor had those on the ground monitoring the RAF radars, who also had the mystery object on their screens. They, too, would report the speeds were far in excess of any known aircraft. The craft itself was so shiny that it resembled a silver light, and had a texture like tinfoil without a single crease or crinkle in it. According to later descriptions, the whole surface was absolutely seamless, highly reflective, and metallic. The size of the disc was around 100 feet across. Hughes would report the sighting to his senior officer, Duncan Sandys, who, according to reports since released to the public, took it extremely seriously. So much so that Hughes would receive orders to attend a meeting so as to give his account personally to the aviation minister. By the time the report would land on the defense secretary's desk, it would come with a warning of sorts. Essentially, that it would be, quote, unwise to dismiss such sightings without further investigation. Hughes, for his part, didn't talk about the encounter much, if at all, although he would go by the name of Saucer Sam by his fellow pilots, thus solidifying the ridicule that often comes with reporting UFOs. Given the close proximity of the two encounters of Link and Hughes, relatively speaking, it would perhaps be unwise to dismiss that the craft witnessed by Hughes may in all likeliness be the same as that witnessed by Oscar and his daughter a matter of weeks earlier. But the fact remains that whatever it was they saw, and what many pilots saw before, during, and after war, these craft were anything but conventional, whether human-made or not. And perhaps, case by case, we'll finally know who or what was behind the incident witnessed by Oscar Link, and so many other witnesses to countless UFO cases somewhere in the skies. This episode was written and co-researched by Marcus Loth. To learn more, visit ufoinsight.com. A special thanks to our voiceover talents in this episode, Graham Rendell and Patrick Bruins. You can find links to their social media in the show notes. And you can follow us on Twitter at Somewhere Skies. Thank you for listening. And remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies.
Somewhere in the Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network.